Support for Recovery Talks, the podcast, and rockandrecovery.com provided by Ohio Means Jobs, Summit in Medina Counties. Recognizing that looking for a job can be tough, especially if you're also navigating a path to recovery. Ohio Means Jobs, Summit in Medina Counties offer career coaching, support services, and training for in-demand careers. For more information, summitmedinaomj.org. My next guest was born into a loving Christian home and had a very privileged upbringing. Nice house, cars, vacations private high school, everything you could want and need. She was a three-sport athlete and was known as a good kid who never got into trouble. She went to college, law school, eventually worked her way into the position of assistant attorney general. Unfortunately, the next step on her resume was fast food manager. The story doesn't end there, though, because my next guest is currently a Summit County Domestic Relations Court magistrate. Recovery does happen. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. I'm here with Cheryl Ware. And Cheryl is is a friend of mine, and and I've known her um, for several years now, but there's a lot about her I did not know. Let me give you a little bit of a description of of her words to describe herself, because I always like to do that as an exercise. She said, describes herself as, by day, I masquerade as a domestic relations court magistrate. That's got to be a tough gig, Okay where she also presides over chemical dependency docket of the Family Recovery Court Program, which is is just awesome. Uh, The program is designed to identify parents with a chemical dependency problem whose actions negatively impact the parenting of their minor children and relationships with their co-parent, okay? Uh, She serves on the board of the trustees for IBH, which is an incredible local organization. She's a volunteer at Restore Addiction Recovery in Lakemore, and she speaks regularly to the medical residents at Akron City Hospital's Family Community Chapel. She considers herself to be a very devout Christian, and she has mentioned to me several times how important the spiritual component of her recovery is. And I'm so glad to welcome you here to Recovery Talks, the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mark. So um, what we always like to do here is we like to set our intentions about creating a message for people uh, that can then, you know, really maybe people that might want to self-identify as, you know, that that's part of my story. So we really do need to start with your recovery story before we can move on to the work that you do today. So tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, how it came to be that you came into the realization um, that you were a person that may be having a, a bit of a trouble with substance use disorder. Start at the beginning for us. Yeah, um, and just to uh, identify, self-identify, I am an alcoholic. That's my problem. And um, I think unlike your typical alcoholic, I um, struggled with misusing alcohol late in life. So I was in my 40s before alcohol really became a problem for me. I did not grow up in an alcoholic home. I grew up in what would be called like the perfect Christian home. And so um, very loving family. I had everything you could ever want and need. Alcohol was not part of our lives grew up going to church. And so um, I you know, was not familiar with alcohol on any level until I was in my 40s, like I said. 
And so um, my introduction to alcohol came in, um, I would say around about 2000, the year 2000, when, um, you know, long story short, I grew up, I got married, <laughs> I had two kids, I was working as a lawyer, and life was going along very well, very active in my church, active in the community. And um, I decided that after I had my second child that I was going to stay home. Um, and in an effort to kind of create a social life for myself, I started getting together with some other ladies who had kids. One day, I just happened to be over at somebody else's house and they asked me if I wanted to have a glass of wine with my lunch. And I was completely stunned. That was something completely foreign to me. Um, and so I was started hanging out with these ladies who drank is basically what it came down to. And um, I found after the first time of taking a drink that it was game on. I felt relaxed. Um, any anxiety that I had just went away. I felt comfortable. All of a sudden, um, I felt very social. It became very quickly a hobby for me. A hobby and a hobby moved into a habit. I started collecting and buying and subscribing to magazines and going to wine tasting events and taking my husband with me. So where formerly alcohol was not a part of my life whatsoever, all of a sudden it became something fun and became kind of like my new part-time job, if you will. And um, so, but very quickly that became an obsession and I found myself drinking um, to get drunk. And, you know, waking up the next morning with a lot of remorse, a lot of guilt. Here I am, this Christian mom, taking my kids to Christian school every day. And I was just wrapped with guilt and shame. What a hypocrite I am. And so I was able to stop. I was able to, to stop to get a hold of myself and say, this is wrong for me. I can't do this anymore. And I had a period of time, probably another five or six years, where I was just able to, to put it down. It was kind of a wake-up call for me to wake up hungover and um, living a life that just was not consistent with my morality. And so, like I said, I, I was able to stop for a few years, but things came to um, a spiral or to, I, I guess, you know, episode. another episode took place when in 2011, 2010, a series of very devastating events came along in my life and they were just beyond my control. Um, my daughter, who was 11 at the time, was seriously injured in a sledding accident that changed my life. I, I had to stay home with her as she recovered from that and as she um, had to go through surgery and therapy. And I was her full-time caretaker. And she was you know, very seriously injured and um, couldn't go to school for a while. When she did go back to school, I had to go with her. And basically, like I said, I became her full-time nurse for a while. And that was very, very, very devastating for me. Um, not just only painful to watch her go through that, but mm -hmm. it definitely disrupted my life. And so I started drinking again to control that anxiety. I already knew that it would help me relax because I had that prior experience. And so I picked up alcohol again as my coping mechanism, come home at the end of the day, have a drink with my dinner. And that's how it started mm. once again. Um, another thing that happened to me is I was um, serving on the board of a local school and a group of parents sued us. And it ended up being about a, a year and a half of a, just a legal nightmare for me. And dealing with that was very difficult. And so, you know, once again, I just continued to, to drink. I, I would say at that point, I was already started. I just continued to drink all the while telling myself, this is just a phase. This is a temporary thing. I will be able to stop when I want to because I stopped before. So I that was another excuse for me to keep drinking. Mm -hmm.
yet another thing that took place, which was um, probably the most devastating thing, was what I call my family mess. There was a fracture in my family in one of the relationships between some immediate family members. And that was, I had, you know, this perfect family that I grew up in was all of a sudden very shattered. I had two camps of people that weren't talking to, to each other, and I was expected to be the fixer to put everybody back together again. And as hard as I tried to do that, talk to them, first of all, get them into counseling, get them to, you know, I would talk to one, then talk to the other and back and forth and back and forth. And it was so frustrating that neither one wanted to do what I thought they should do. And in my effort to fix everybody, I just, again, continued to drink to manage that anxiety, that fear, that devastation, the disappointment, and just to manage it all. And um, even to this day, those relationships are not healed. You know, that definitely spiraled my drinking. And then finally, uh, when I did end up going back to work, I ended up being home for a little while with my daughter. But once she got better and I went back to work, I went back to work for what I'm going to call um, a bad boss, for lack of a better word, someone that I trusted and I thought was a good friend and ended up being very abusive towards me. Mm. And um, that is what sent me into what I call the 24-7 drinking, yeah. where you know, I got in the car to go to work and I was so nervous and anxious about getting to work that I was drinking in the car, drinking at work, drinking on the way home. And um, you know, at that point in time, um, it was definitely out of control. Many people were confronting me about my drinking. I was very unhappy. And so I thought, okay, well, the solution to all this is I'm going to quit that job. And I'm going to, you know, that, that will fix it. I will be able to stop once I quit that job. And um, I did quit that job. But what happened is my drinking spiraled out of control even more as I tried to cope with the disappointment, the devastation, not being able to find another job. Um, and just rehashing everything that had gone on and the frustration. So, and I think also, you know, medically speaking, I had already been drinking so long and so hard that whatever that trigger point in my brain, um, the, the disease mm. aspect of it had already just, you know, I, I had exceeded that. I passed the threshold, flipped the switch, whatever you want to say. And I was already an alcoholic. Mm. Um, but I did not know that. It was my coping mechanism that made me feel better. I just wanted to feel better. I just mm. didn't want to feel bad. Mm. Did not know that there was help available. Had never met an alcoholic in my life um, that I knew of. And mm. so the alcoholic to me was the guy standing under the bridge with the brown paper bag and no teeth. Right. The and I didn't fit that pro. Yeah. I did not fit that profile. So yeah. I didn't even know that I... I just know that it, alcohol made me feel better. And when I was you know, blacked out, I was feeling better. My life at that point was had completely unraveled. I hit what you would call rock bottom, what we would all call rock bottom. I was passed out every night. I missed all the kids' school events. I was gone for days. People were looking for me. Um, I was hiding alcohol all over the house in the neighborhood. I was stealing from the store. I was violent toward people, ruined family events, and you name it. Um, those loud and obnoxious and all those alcoholic behaviors that are just, you know, you know that the person is, is in trouble. And, um, you know, even beyond that, some things that were very serious and very tangible, my health had really suffered. I gained like 50 pounds. My blood pressure was up. I lost my sense of taste and smell, lost some teeth, my voice. I lost my voice. And so, you know, physically I was really suffering. And um, I put our finances in jeopardy. My husband had to second mortgage our house. Um, and so, you know, at that point, um, thank God, my husband, he's now my ex-husband, but I credit him for saving my life because he knew that there was help available. And he um, got me an appointment with Edwin Shaw at the time. It was Edwin Shaw. Now I think it's Akron General. 
and went there for an assessment. Actually, he gave he gave me an ultimatum: either you get help, or we're out of here. You know, me and the kids were out of here. We're going to leave you alone in the house, and you can figure out how to pay the mortgage on your own. But you know, you you have a choice, and you didn't have to tell me twice. You know, I was ready. I, I realized then I did not want to lose my family. For me, that was enough of a motivator that I went, got that assessment, got into treatment, um, got into IOP. Um, actually got a part-time job working in a local restaurant, which was really all I could do at that point, and um, started to embrace recovery. I tell you what, I just want to exhale for a second. That's a lot to unpack right there. Oh my gosh, you know? So first of all, I just want to say thank you for sharing that. It's, you know, I hear so many guests on our show you know, talk about the way they grew up and how that impacted what happened to them with their alcohol experience. But I, I, I rarely hear the true alcoholic, the true person with substance use disorder, that from the moment they started beginning to use, they knew they were different. They knew that that wasn't the same with everyone else. And I also heard you say an awful lot about the progression of how things just move. Without, you know, we we want to consider ourselves, and I listened to the pronouns that you were using, I, me, my, right? And those are the things that it, we as, as people in long-term recovery from substance use disorder, those are the obstacles, the orange barrels for us to really be able to move into that next recovery because we keep thinking there's going to be a way we can fix this, right? We keep thinking, if I just, if I just rearrange the cards on the table, if I just move, if I change a job, if I just stop going, if I, if I, and again, I'm using that great big capital, you know, super highlighted I, if I can change things, then I will be okay. And what I'm about ready to hear you say is that it's going to take another power that's greater than you to be able to fix things. I'll tell you what, we're, we're right almost at about halfway break. Let's take it just a short break. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about, you know, what happened that made it different for you in your recovery. We'll be right back after this. The internet can be challenging to navigate, especially when it comes to podcasts. It can be a cacophony of noise, choices, and information. Some of that information can be legitimate and trustworthy, and some of it can be questionable or even downright synthetic. Who or what can be trusted? And the sheer amount of platforms, where in the world do I go to listen and to absorb information? For the person in recovery, sometimes getting the right advice or help can be the difference between shivering in darkness and stepping out into the light. Recoverytalks.org is a repository, an easy-to-find place where past episodes of Recovery Talks the podcast can be found. All of Mark's in-depth conversations, all the way back to season one, can be found here. RecoveryTalks.org. Simple. Easy. Help. Welcome back, everybody. And we are with Cheryl Ware, who's a Summit County Domestic Relations Court Magistrate. And her story right now is about to the place where she's going to tell our listening audience the things that happened to move her closer into the recovery portion of, of her journey. So, Cheryl, please pick it up from there if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And so, um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I got myself into treatment, but after I had a, a year of recovery under my belt, um, I decided it was going to be okay to pick up again. My daughter had had some on another 
issue with her leg, had to have another surgery. I thought I was cured of alcoholism, um, that I could go back to drinking normally like I had before for all those years. And so I decided it was going to be okay to pick up. That was a good excuse for me. And when I did that, my family found my bottles and literally within five minutes, I was kicked out of the house again, which is my car, my keys, my purse and told never to come back again. This was our biggest nightmare. And so I found myself literally on the side of the road, nowhere to go. And I picked up the phone and I didn't know what else to do. I called my church, the crisis hotline at my church and the gentleman who picked up happened to be the pastor who was uh, oversaw our Celebrate Recovery program. He told me, well, if you'll Glad you called. They were grateful that I called and um, told me if I would go back to detox, get myself back into treatment, that they would help me. And so I did all that and um, went to IOP. Oh, I'm sorry, I went to detox, um, got out, didn't have a place to go, um, ended up in a sober house by myself and, um, you know, with just the, the church to help me. Um, mm. and really was, was by myself and, um, realized that my family didn't want anything to do with me. And so, um, what I did at that point was, um, I turned back to my relationship with God and, you know, that, uh, I realized that all my life, I took my faith for granted that it was the best way to live. And until I took myself into this wilderness of alcoholism, I didn't realize that the life that I had grown up with, that I had always learned, was the best life. The life that God had to offer me was the best life. And until I got to that point where I had to admit that he or I had no other choice than to see that he's all I had and that that was enough and that that was going to have to get me through. And so it was time for me just to really dig deep into my relationship with God to understand that that was going to have to be enough for me. Um, and lo and behold, it was. And I got back into IOP, um, this time at St. Thomas Hospital. And I met another great lady, Andrea Shaw, there, who really taught me about the disease aspect of alcoholism, that I've got a disease, I'm sick, I'm never going to get better. And so game what am changer. I going to do? Yeah, it's it was a game, a game changer. changer for me. Yeah. I'm not going to graduate. Mm. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be cured. I can recover, but I'm not going to be cured. And so looking at my alcoholism, my disease in another light, it put me on a, in a totally different trajectory. And so um, I ended up um, from there in, in 2015 was another turning point in, in my, I, my, my story. I ended up um, getting a call from um, Judge Katerina Cook, who at the time was at the Akron Municipal Court. Now she is the administrative judge at domestic relations and actually oversees the family recovery court program. But she gave me a call and said, I got your resume and I've got an opening. Would you like to come to work for me? And at that point, I felt like I was so broken that I couldn't function in any way, much less as an attorney. But she really gave me no choice. Um, she said, you're coming to work for me. And I did. And it ended up really teaching me, Mark, that my mistake can be somebody else's medicine. My pain can have a purpose. And you know yes. that's another thing yes. that ended up mm -hmm. changing the trajectory of my recovery is realizing that I can make something out of this. You know, I can make lemonade out of lemons. And so, you know, putting all those things together um, kind of moved me into, you know, what is now my, my regular recovery. There's so much to exhale here for a minute. I just, I want to just comment on on that turning point where obviously Judge Cook said to you, you know, come on back. And I and I, I could sense with you that feeling of, of, you know, am I worthy of this? Can I do this again? Can I go back into life and be the person I want to be again? And that's, I think, one of the things that a lot of us in substance use recovery 
all deal with is that place where we're standing, you know, looking at that door we have to go through and go, can I do it? Can I do it again? Did I have I completely blown everything in my life? And having that opportunity, that hand held out to you that, you know, where someone can say, you know, yeah, come on. And I I, I want to tell you that working in the service component, because we've talked a little bit about your your bio recovery, you know, your cycle recovery through through IOP, you know, the social getting back into work, but the spiritual component is such an important part. We don't really talk about it that much on this podcast. Um, but I will tell you that the the concept of a power that's greater than ourselves, on whatever level you choose to define that, you know what I mean? That is such an important ingredient for me in my life now to be able to, and we talked a little bit before screen um, to talk about some of the practices that I was doing before this morning when I got up to go to work and just, you know, the meditation and, and the, the the connection with that power of that really I feel is the turning point part for me is just to, to be able to let it go into the hands of that power that's greater than you. And I, you're right at the edge now of being able to do some work, you know, with the Summit County Domestic Relations Court. And I just wanted to say that like you, there were a couple opportunities that I received where I could do something for someone else. Game changer for me, because it was being able to be the evidence of recovery you know, that shows, hey, you know what? People do recover. That's really what this podcast is about, is showcasing people on the journey like you that have gotten through the worst parts of it and are now doing something in the community that that are meaningful and helping other people. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about what what's what it's like for you now and what, what you do and, and what that work is like for you and, and how that helps you in your sobriety journey. Yeah, yeah. And before I do that, I just want to, you know, tie up one little loose end there. As I went into this phase um, working for Judge Cook, I was still not living back at home with my family. I was still estranged from my husband and daughter and very much in pain over that. But yet I was, you know, still kind of having these opportunities. So I was, you know, torn between my life moving forward, but I still the pain of being separated from my family. Um, and you know, today, um, my relationships with my children are healed and they're my best friends and my biggest supporters. And so, you know, what I want to say is just living that life and moving forward in my recovery. I think, um, just being an example of the Mm -hmm. recovered life was really significant in bringing them back into my life. I think that they would say that. And so, um, you know, that was a really important element for me. Um, but as far as, is what I do today. So yeah, I talked about my involvement or you introduced me in my involvement with all of those organizations. And so yeah, the Family Recovery Court, I started doing that June of last year. And Judge Cook started that program in 2019, right before the pandemic. And But in 2021, when life kind of opened back up again, um, and, and she started getting a lot more cases and realized that she would need help with that docket, um, she asked me if I would take that that side of the of the cases. And so, you know, I always say I, I have, you know, a handful of sponsees because I've got these cases mm-hmm. and people that I'm working with. And my goal in working in those cases is just to be an example of hope that recovery is possible. You can get better if you do the work. And like I said, um, a lot of these people have broken relationships with their children. And I hope that by letting them know that if you work on it, you can get your relationships back you know, that I have done that, that it is possible if you do the work, if you live the life. And so I want to be most of all an example of hope, not the magic bullet. Um, Like you said, I can tell them how I did it, but I just want to 
to say, you can do this. And so um, that's that's definitely a big part of, um, you know, that motivates me to stay sober too. Well, tell us a little bit about how that court works. I mean, I mean I, I'm not sure I, I know exactly how it works and what you do. What is it like? Um, well, it's a voluntary program um, for people who, maybe have lost custody or lost some visitation with their children because of their substance use or mental health disorders. And we give them the opportunity to come in, to get an assessment, to have access to programs and treatment, um, to build some stability, to connect them with some of our community partners, and um, to give them more time to move through a treatment and recovery program. And as they are moving through the phases of the program, they are hopefully slowly getting more and more time with their children so that they can have ultimately a more normalized parenting schedule. They're not just stuck with supervised visits. And so um, we give them the tools, the access to resources, like I said. They're meeting with us as they move through the phases, um, initially once a month, then every two months, then every three months, until hopefully they can graduate. And you know, it could be one year, it could be two years, depending on how long it takes the person to get through the program. Um, but we just give them that opportunity to have, I guess, a, like a court-sponsored recovery program. So how do you find out about this program? I mean, how would somebody, how would a yeah. parent find out about this program that may be in need of it? Well, uh, first of all, you have to have an active case with the court. Mm-hmm. You've gone through a divorce. Uh, maybe you've had a, a parentage case. And so you've got an active case with the court. And um, it's really pretty much up to the lawyers, the magistrates, the guardian ad litems, the uh, professionals who work with our cases to kind of bring it to the attention of the people who need it. We're trying to get the word out there. We're doing things like this to spread the word and let people know that it's available. Um, But creating awareness um, through the Bar Association and letting everyone know. It functions much like the drug courts and that the Common Pleas Court has a similar format. I'm just dying to ask the question to just to rewind a little bit. It's been on my mind as you described what you're doing now and, you know, and how, you know, you, you talk about healing relationships with moms and dads and their kids in, in the situation. Um, what was the turning point for you, for your family, that made things really kind of come back together again? Because I think it's, an, it's a really important part of your story that, you know, I, mean, I I can tell you one of the greatest moments in my recovery was when my middle child said to me, dad, I don't worry about you anymore. Yeah. That moment I could finally exhale, you know, and it was even to this day, it brings emotion to me to hear him say, you know what? I saw you go through all this stuff. We didn't like it. We didn't like who you were. We didn't like calling 911 dad when you would fall down the steps. But you know what? I don't worry about you anymore. So what was that moment like for you? Yeah, well, it was different for for my two kids and my my husband at the time. Um, they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. So my son, who was in college at the time, um, was very, very supportive of me right from the beginning. And I always call him my angel. So, you know, right after I relapsed and I was back in treatment, he was one of the first people on the phone with me to say, mom, I'm behind you, you've got this. He was my encouragement. I really, he gave me a lot of motivation for wanting to move forward. Um, Called me, checked in with me on a regular basis, had me out to visit. He was in school in Chicago. And so, you know, right away he was on board with me. However, my daughter, wanted nothing to do with me. She had written me a you're dead to me letter and um, basically said, you know, goodbye. I never want to see you again. She was at home during most of my my behavior, experienced the worst of it and just her personality. She took it. Um, she had a lot of anxiety and fear, understandably. 
And so she wanted nothing to do with me. And all the professional advice I had been given was let her go. Um, just pray for her. You live your life. You focus on your recovery. And, you know, one of these days, um, she'll, she'll come around. And as hard for me as it was to believe that, I just continued to love her from a distance, send her letters, send her flowers, just let her know I was here. But I missed every significant event in her life, birthday, Mother's mm-hmm. Day, whatever it was, mm-hmm. it was very devastating. But, mm-hmm. you know, about, I would say probably about a year and a half later, um, after a lot of work, um, she called me one day and just, uh, or actually she just showed up uh, where I was one day and just said, mom, do you want to get together for coffee out of the blue? And we started meeting together. We started, um, you know, I started coming back home for some meals, going to some school events, going on vacation together. And ultimately after about almost two years, I was able to move back home. And um, today we are best friends. Oh, that's so amazing. She is absolutely, literally my best girlfriend, that's I will say. So amazing. <laughs> but, um, you know, through some counseling too, you know, we worked together with some counseling. We had a lot of crying and, and tears together. But really, I would say to that, just I just focused on my recovery, let my life speak for itself, prayed for her and let God do the work in her heart. And she came around. So... Well, I just I just want to take a moment to just say, do you realize that story is so important for the work that you do now? I mm-hmm. mean, just the way you told it to me, I'm feeling my heart, you know, go out to that whole experience. And I just want you to know, you know, I, I don't always know that some of our guests see it, but I see you and I see the work that you're doing now and the work that you are able to really Bring a different level of authenticity to because of what you went through. I mean, you're really, truly living evidence that recovery is possible. And by telling our listeners this story, by working with the people that you work with in your daytime job, you know, you really do make a difference. Just on behalf of all, all of our listeners, I just want to say thank you for bringing your story here. There is one thing I want to, I want to talk to you about. You know, the rain does come. Right. And we do have those days. And I, I want to tell you, I was just yes. on the phone earlier, actually yesterday with a friend of mine who said, man, this week has just been like, I don't know if I can deal with this. It's another person in the recovery community. And I, and they asked me, they said, well, what do you do? What do you do when you get, you know, in that place? I mean, gosh, Mark, you've got almost eight years recovery and you're doing all these really good things. You got this, you got that, you get this. What are your go-to get you through? And so I'm turning it back on you, Cheryl. What are your go-to get you through practices that you can tell our audience that help you get through those those days when it just seems like everything's like in your pockets? Yeah, right. Well, I just try to stick to my regular routine, and it's pretty. Uh, you know, I, I got a lot of things that I do on a regular basis. First of all, I always have my daily readings. First thing I do when I get up in the morning, I've got some you know recovery readings, some spiritual readings, some Christian devotional readings. I really stay faithful to, to starting my day that way so that my mind's in the right place. And when those tough times come, I'm ready. I'm on several text groups with various people in my life, whether it's my Bible study, my home group of AA, um, folks at church, friends, whatever it is. And if I'm struggling, I'm having... I have a tough time right away. I'm on those text groups. Hey, folks, I need you to really pray for me. I need you to go to the mat for me today. I need you to send me some positive vibes. You know, I'm reaching out to the people. I'm confessing. I'm um, telling on myself and saying, hey, I need help today. Um, I'm really big about keeping a gratitude list. Each and every day, I've got a gratitude list. I got a notebook on one page. 
is my gratitude list. On the other side is my prayer list. And so when I'm in need, I'm looking at my gratitude list from the day before to say, hey, God's with me. Look what he did for me yesterday. He's going to get me through this. And then I right away turn to someone else that I need to pray for. Who can I call? Who can I text? How do they need help so that I can get my mind off of myself and what is upsetting me? Who can I reach out to today when I'm having a tough day? Um, And, you know, I also try to do what you and I talked about previously. I try to start my day when I'm getting ready with a podcast. It's inspirational. I'm not going to listen to the radio. I'm not going to listen to the news. I'm going to listen to somebody who's going to lift me up, who's going to pour into my spirit, who's going to teach me how to get through this uh, day. That's really a big deal for me. Um, And then also just making sure I'm having a tough time. That's the day I'm going to make sure I get some exercise in. I'm an exercise freak. I'm working out three, four times a week. I'm at the gym. um, I'm taking classes. And it's a place to blow off steam, but it's also a place for me to, um, to socialize and to make some friends and to reach out to people and, and to get out of myself and to kind of cut through, dilute that stress. I absolutely share that with you. Exercise, socialize are, are super important for my program. So I want to tell our listeners, I, uh, just as we wrap up here, I just want to say thank you for, for sharing that amazing story. I mean, this last half hour has just been, I'm so happy to hear this part of your story. I think I've heard your story a couple of times before, but never told this way. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's not easy to do this. And it really does require a, a measure of willingness to be vulnerable. And, and I want to congratulate you on that. And, and also to say thank you for our listeners, for myself and our community, for the work that you do and for sharing your story and turning it into a different ending. Right, because we can never go back mm-hmm. and change what we did, but we can always start now and change the ending of our story. So, um, thanks yeah. again to everybody. I mean, as we wrap up here, I just want to say thanks you, Cheryl Ware, for 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 coming on this podcast, and also um, thank you to our listeners of this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. If you like this, please let us know and share. You can let us know by emailing me at markleyshannon at gmail.com. You can also find us uh, at recoverytalks.org, recoverytalks.org. Okay, get it out, Mark. For more seasons, I think this will be this season. We're season four. We're starting our 43rd episode of this podcast, which just blows my mind because when we started, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just trying to figure it out as we go along, rowing that boat. But to all our listeners out there, I just want to say thank you one more time, Cheryl Ware, for coming on the show and for everyone else. Please, please, please stay connected, stay standing, and steady on.